Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, Janet, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio. And today we have a very, very special guest on today, and her name is Dr. Annette Bosworth, also known as Dr. Boz. Dr. Boz, welcome to our show. Well, thank you for asking me. Thanks for uh, waiting so long to get this scheduled and just being patient with all the hiccups that came into my schedule. I'm really excited to be on your show. Thank you. You're welcome. And, you know, before the show, I was discussing with one of my team members. Um, She was actually looking at our upcoming guests and she's like, oh, Dr. Boz, I've been following her for years. And I thought that's so cool because we don't get an opportunity to uh, interview uh, celebrities very often. So awesome. (laughs) Thank you for allowing us to. And thank you for the personal signed copy of your book, Keto Continuum. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So thank you. You know, that is is not a way I identify as as famous. I think of it as how can you uh, take what what you have learn and like this much like what you talk about in your book that that life-changing moment where you say oh we are doing this all wrong people and it just motivates you to strip off the wallpaper of the way you've done life and say this path has such better potential for patients and for those that we've been serving in our roles uh that every fiber in your body says i can't keep doing it that way it's against my soul (laughs) I agree. Yeah, I agree, Janet. Do you have any comments about that, about what changed our lives and at our pharmacy? I certainly do. I identify totally with uh, what Dr. Boz is saying because you reach a moment where you wonder if what you are doing is really making a difference. And when you look in the mirror, can I answer to myself that I helped somebody, that I really made uh, a contribution to improve their life? And if you can't, then you have to find the tools to to actually make those changes or, and, and identify things that will make changes in their personal health journey. So totally understand that. And, you know, my wake up call, um, many of you have heard it, but I had a patient that followed me for years. And when she called me on her deathbed and said, um, goodbye, I, I had to soul search. And, and that was the moment that said, Hmm, something has to change. Amen. Exactly. You know, there's a huge difference between, uh, you know, getting up and beginning that day after years of, you know, perfecting a skill and and a, a profession and you giving it your best. You're doing what you feel is truly the best. And it's almost like the uh, an imposter of yourself when you look back to say, when I changed the dog, I stopped the dogma. I stopped doing what every one of these protocols. I mean, I, I still believe that there is a lot of value in the in the protocols and the way in the way they you know unpack modern science. Uh, but after 20 years of seeing patients, when I said, I have done, I have given it my all, I have really been the best version of me in my profession. I don't think my patients are healthier. And it was that moment of if I keep going, knowing now that this threshold that you've stepped over and you've done this differently, saying, yep, I still know how to use all those prescription medications. Yes, there still is a place, but it's so much smaller and it's so much shorter. And it's giving them the hope that I can bridge you through this little season you're in. But if it's all you're Mm -hmm. after, that's not going to be healthy for for either uh, you or anybody that's watching your health. Um, And I really think that uh, that journey of I I know you guys have done lots of broadcasts on keto and teaching keto. And what I am so inspired to spend the next 20 years of my career watching is when you get your leaderships in the home and leaderships in front of a a classroom or a pharmacy or a physician's office saying, Mm -hmm think differently, what will the next generation have the privilege of saying, yes, I can still, and medicine's going to continue to advance. There are lots of well-intentioned professionals doing uh, what is uh, good work, but it will be great on a bed of a ketogenic journey, adding that, um, that 
role model who says, you know what, I know that birthday cake sounds like it's going to make your birthday better. But um, if we celebrate always with that for your whole life, I'm doing you a disservice. Here's a way to celebrate your birthday or that kind of generational transformation. Right. Leaders in the profession say, okay, yes. Um, the tradition has been that this food becomes our, our focus of celebration and a sign of love. But now your parents are doing it differently. Now your doctor's doing it differently. Now your teacher's doing it differently. And when you have enough of this uh, um, kind of, I thought, brave leadership uh, from homes to Sunday school classes to, to, to professionals, that next generation doesn't have to be trapped like this previous one has been uh, without any other options except I'm doing everything they tell me. Right. And so you kind of, you know, in your book, you talk a lot about um, how keto is more than just for weight loss. In fact, your story kind of starts out with your mom. That's kind of why you started um, looking into keto. Is that correct? Yeah, I'll do the quick origin story because I think it does help uh, viewers who haven't heard it. And even if they've heard it a couple of times, it's <laughs> some of the folks that have watched my YouTube lectures for a long time forget this uh, commitment to, you know, doing as much of it as I can possibly do for low cost or free is because I had a broken heart of what of the disservice I did to my mother. So I am a first generation physician. I grew up on a hog farm and <laughs> I can remember reading the magazine at the, I, we had a, I had a, a bicycle that I rode to and from school and um, I pick up the mail and ride the, my bike down the driveway without hands on a dirt road. This is really bizarre because it's such an interesting scene, but I'm reading time magazine uh, on the day that our school had an assembly. And I had, before this moment in my life, I had assumed I was going to grow up on a farm and do what, you know, do what my parents had done, but I hated it. I hated the smell of hogs. I hated the hog jars. I hated the dirtiness. <laughs> this story sounds really familiar <laughs> from a gal from North Dakota. <laughs> Ours wasn't hog, though. <laughs> it, it, they're probably just as smelly, though. Yeah. <laughs> so in my, my little school, our school was K through 12 in one building, but we would have these assemblies. And I was in the seventh grade when this uh, these this couple, this, um, brother and sister, had come back to give an assembly on their experiences with college. And one had just graduated with a, you know, a, a, um, a, a bath bachelor of art uh, in trumpet and saw the other one was just as artsy if you would and they were so excited about their experience and they shared their experience and I raised my hand and said but what's your job and I was seventh grade and they're like oh and then they kind of didn't answer it and then everybody laughed and I couldn't figure out why nobody was answering my question and I, I'm riding my bike home thinking oh my gosh are you telling me college doesn't lead to a job off this place. And so I was mad. Time Magazine that night had, I'm reading on my bike on the way up the driveway saying, if I, you know, job placement relative to education and at the top of the list said, if you went to medical school and you got a, uh, uh, your doctorate, there was something like 95% chance you were going to be in a profession that you were trained in. And then there was a high job satisfaction. This was of course in like 1985, I don't think there's nearly as high of job satisfaction in medicine right. today. So I do what it is I do. And I get to this other point in my career where I have to choose what kind of physician I want to be. And uh, I just, I am looking around at the physicians that have been my role models, like examples of what's a pediatrician, what's a surgeon, what's a um, ophthalmology resident, you know, what's that look like? And I, I couldn't deny my attraction to internal medicine that answered the questions at the highest level of understanding that when I had been with an internal medicine team and then my parents asked me questions, uh, it still gives me just goosebumps because remembering the first few times my parents asked me a question that they did not know the right answer to and I did was because I had studied it at this highest level in medicine, which is called internal medicine. And lots of other you know, places that get to the highest level, but that seemed to be this bucket that my parents kept asking questions for. So I become an internist. I, I love what I'm doing. And my mother gets uh, CLL, chronic lymphocytic leukemia. 
and um, it was uh, it was life changing to then become an expert in this area because of her illness. And for 10 years, she suffered with chronic lymphocytic leukemia. I, we actually moved our family back from Utah to South Dakota so I could be closer to her as she suffered with this illness. And she had top health care. She had me looking over every decision that her, her medical team made. She had access to the best drugs. She had the perfect tests. This was, there was no mistakes in her health care. And each time her cancer got to the point where we did chemotherapy, um, it's like they took out part of her personality. It took out part of her brain. It took out part of her spirit. And we're 10 years into this story. And um, CLL is a cancer of white blood cells. And the lymph nodes within your body get large when you're getting to a, a serious problem. And we're about, we're going to the oncologist. We know we're in trouble because we've, over that past year, she'd had antibiotics helping her fight off infection for something like 50 out of 52 weeks, she was ill. Um, and we could feel the lymph nodes in her neck and her armpits. Uh, so we knew this was going to be a bad appointment. And bad appointment means we're going to have to have chemotherapy again. And um, she's very strategic, God love her, uh, that right before the uh, oncologist walks in the door, she says, I just need you to know that if he says the word chemotherapy, um, the clothes I want to wear at my funeral on the top shelf in that closet in the basement. I'm not doing this again. Wow. And of course the doctor walks in, delivers bad news. And it had been for the last six months that um, I'm an internal medicine. I do bread and butter, chronic disease management. How do you help people prevent the problems? They'll never say thank you for, but that's okay. You're preventing the stuff they'll never have to see if you're doing your job well. And one of the places I kept collecting my favorite was uh, brain injuries, uh, whether it's from poor sleep, uh, chronic diabetes, smoking, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, that brain injury uh, addiction, um, that, was, that was my favorite puzzle to just work on and say, look at their life restored when you fix that. And so I've been, been a little, maybe it's that I, I was embarrassed or I, I didn't, I felt guilty that I didn't know it, uh, that um, the story that I'm telling you about the oncology was in the spring, like May, uh, but in uh, November that previous year, I had read and heard an interview between Dom Diagostino and Tim Ferriss, uh, where they talked about um, the first time I'd ever heard that they, that NASA uh, and the um, Navy SEAL teams used a ketogenic diet to get brains to heal the fastest and to repair the fastest. And at first, I mean, I didn't, I'd never heard Dom Diagostino before. I didn't know who he was, but I knew Tim Ferriss did kind of some bizarre things sometimes like, let's see what mushrooms do to my life and let's get drunk on a podcast. And he was you know, very <laughs> funny, but he did things where like, oh, I wouldn't make that decision. But, and so I'm like, is this fake? And I, uh, I look up Dom Diaz, you know, a little bit later and find out he's a PhD researcher from Florida that really, that is in the front lab, biochemistry, mitochondrial diseases, saying, how do you get the highest performance out of someone? And then when you are trying to crack the code on the fastest way to repair, as well as the highest uh, um, uh, overall function of the brain, whether that's an injured brain or not an injured brain, uh, this constant state of ketosis was going to give you this, this huge, I mean, like not a little bit of improvement, like huge separation from what I was getting in my clinic. And so I'd always kind of like had that sinful pride where I said, I'm really good at what I do, but he was blowing my numbers out of the water. Like, I'm like, Oh, how do I not know this? How do I not know this? Mm -hmm. And it had, uh, I have a little bit of justification that uh, much of what his research was based on was that the government investigation, he worked for um, Navy SEAL, so he could, there was some kind of way that their research didn't have an open uh, audience to the public for 10 years because it was considered a national 
security. Uh, the defense felt it was a, an advantage for our soldiers that they could get these higher performance out of people because they didn't have the, it open sourced. And it had become open sourced the year before, so then people were talking about it. And I think that was 2014 and 2015, or right in that area. And that's how I had just been reading about the ketogenic diet, and I had read a couple of papers by the team out of um, MD Anderson in Texas, where they were taking glioblastoma patients, a very deadly brain cancer. And when they put them in a strict level of ketosis, the cancer cells couldn't use their favorite fuel of glucose. So I didn't walk into the ketogenic right. diet having to do a weight loss. I was like, how do you get brains to work better? And then suddenly my mother was at this choice point as we walked out of that uh, office having the, the pink slip, which means we were going to get chemotherapy. We're standing in a hallway and one or at a choice point, one hallway leads to the chemotherapy appointment desk and the other one leads to the front door. And I turned to my mother and I have this incredibly vulnerable moment and said, mom, do you trust me? And she flippantly says, of course I trust you. And she knows she's irritated because she knows I'm going to have this confrontational <laughs> conversation with her. And she's like, and I said, no, mom, I mean, with your whole life. And she's still a little flippant. And I said, give me six weeks and let me show you what I would do if it was me. And she's crying and I'm crying. And we walk out the front door. We leave my car at the hospital. We drive a hundred miles to our little farm and I clean out the house from all these <laughs> carbs. Yeah. Uh, I'd been in a state of ketosis for like three weeks at this point. I'm a total novice. We screwed up a lot of things. But we went through this ketogenic journey for six weeks together. And I think it was at 10 days where she stopped taking the antibiotics that she'd been on for almost like 46 weeks straight or something. And so we knew something was better. We were making these little ketones and, you know, sharing our ketone pictures every morning to just be accountable to one another and stick with it and having as much cream in our coffee as we wanted. And, and, and honestly, uh, she, I could see, I could talk to her on the phone. I couldn't drive to her every day at this point. Um, and you could just hear it in her voice that it was, the speech wasn't as slurred, uh, her, her sentence structure was back to energetic, that there was something happening. And I kept trying to tell myself, you're biased, you're biased. <laughs> you want her to be healthier. You don't, you, you don't, you want the best for her. Try to be objective, try to be objective. And we get back to six weeks in front of her oncologist. And as most clinics with oncology today would happen, he writes the order and then doesn't have to think about her for another you know, six weeks till she comes back for follow-up. Right. Nothing's gone wrong. Nobody's called her about her. And he's like, uh, so he runs her blood test twice before uh, he comes into the door. And he goes, I can't find where you went to chemotherapy. And at this point, we're back in front of the doctor. We know something's not bad. And I am just praying that her numbers are not, were not, you know, they're supposed to be twice as bad as they were six weeks ago. And by this point, uh, I, he comes back in and tells us the results of her cancer blood test were that she had improved or decreased her numbers by 30%. That was better than what chemotherapy was supposed to do. And was he surprised? He kept saying, did you just go to chemotherapy at a different location? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Uh, and in fact, at that point, I was so like unsettled about talking about this with anybody else. I just told mom, if he asked any questions, just deny, just say nothing and keep your mouth shut. I don't know how to explain this yet. <laughs> so yes, that's the origin story about how I got into ketosis. It wasn't just weight loss. It was on cancer prevention and how do you get that brain right. to work the best that it can. And I, I continue to, um, find that yes, you attract people to the ketogenic diet with weight loss. It has a good advertisement for that. But there is so much more to how your body functions and heals and and defends off infection and um, sleeps when it's in a state of nutritional ketosis. So in your book, Keto Continuum, you have basically um, 12, 12 steps, I believe, of, of keto, correct? Yeah. So some, and, you know, it's a continuum, right? People say right. I, I do the ketogenic diet and they have a, they dabble in keto. And then there's other people who say I do the ketogenic diet and they, they fast for 72 hours every week. And you say, well, all right. So you don't all have to do that, but the, 
the process uh, is something that took me a while to map out. How do you overlay a ketogenic journey in today's medical world? And not all people come in as ill as my mother, um, but many of them have a metabolism that's 50 years older than their body. And if they want their body to return to a healthy age, they need to do some things that will really regenerate that uh, and restore those cells in a healthy level. And, and you can calculate that in a way, not even needing to come to your doctor, but really um, showing them the steps, showing them that you don't dive in feet first. You, you, can, you can really step into this as your social world changes. Uh, because much like I said at the beginning of this, when you have a life that celebrates around processed carbs and we say stop, it's almost like you have to divorce your life. Um, and that's not sustainable for people if they do it all in one day. It's steps of saying, well, let me take you to the first step. Now I need you to stay there until you get really good at this step. And then let's go to the next step. And really, that's how I outlined keto continuum. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, your book it really makes a lot of sense how you just you you just progress and you know you make it pretty clear too that you know don't go to the next step until you've conquered the 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 previous step and it's really a stepwise approach and you are saying that you can be keto for life, correct? Yeah, yeah, and I, and I truly think that is both metaphors that the best life. Uh, fuels from ketones most of the day. That is not only ancestrally true, um, but as a physician that manages chronic illnesses, and I have a prescription for every one of your problems, but it will not play out well. It will not play forward in a, uh, in a setting that you're going to be um, energized <laughs> and, and living your life uh, in a way that you can you can predict will be better the next day um, without a, a, a 80% of the time being in a state of ketosis. Uh, so ketones for life has, has two things. Yes, you can do this until the day you die and you will have the best brain, uh, which I, again, is where my passion shows up if you do that. Um, but you can also have the best life if you've got fuel coming from a ketogenic source for a majority of the hours in a day. And there's a step, there's a path. I can show you the path. That's what I do in my clinic is walk right. people through this. Yeah. So a couple of the questions and let's get into some of your slides. Um, okay. So it's not, um, we're going to get into the Dr. Boz ratio. That's where I'm going with this. And you, you talk about in your book that it's not necessarily about glucose. It's not glucose isn't really the most important marker. It's insulin, but insulin is pretty difficult to measure. Correct? Correct. Yeah. So, and, and I'm with you. Um, I can tell you being an endurance athlete, my glucose runs a little bit high because I work out 10 to 15 hours a week riding my bike and my body burns that glucose. So it wants a high level of glucose, but my insulin is super low. Um, and so sometimes if I look at just my glucose, it's going to look like I might even be pre-diabetic, but my insulin is super, super low and responds very well. So comment about this Dr. Boz ratio um, where you can measure insulin fairly easily. Right. So again, here's the problem with uh coming to my clinic and measuring insulin. Insulin is not the same molecule performance in every patient. It is relative to where you've been over the last at least three months, but really probably over the last five years. As you watch insulin's performance, if you are pushing uh, the level of glucose, peaking your glucose or eating later at night or putting in a high number of uh, small particles, so processed food uh, that shoots your glucose way up, your body has this really important protector of you called insulin that will insulate your body, make fat cells, but will also tuck that sugar out of the circulation into a place where then you can use it when there's not glucose around. And unfortunately, in our world of abundance, that glucose is around all the time. Right. <laughs> so once you put it in, they're not getting it back out. It's there for 30 years. I'm here. It's there for the time where they, until they get into a state of ketosis for a while. And most people haven't seen ketones since breast milk. Uh, that, 
that process of saying, yes, if I, if you come in and I order your insulin, I can check the level, but it really is such a volatile uh, response to what's your mood. Uh, I, I slept in a hotel last night, so I didn't sleep well last night. My insulin would be higher today. I, I'm, I'm a higher stress level because of the, not the highest quality of sleep last night. <clears throat> when you look at um, patients who've had um, have had chemotherapy, they've had an infection, have people that are constipated. I mean, there's, you can fart wrong and your insulin can go. <laughs> <laughs> so to go in and spend the $80 to look at your insulin, but let's say you were supposed to get it done first thing in the morning, which is what I'd want it be, to be done. Um, but you woke up at three o'clock in the morning because the, you know, something happened and then you got to the lab and there was a little bit of stress at the lab. So those interactions in your life actually change your insulin so that if I did it three days in a row, uh, the variables of what was causing you to feel stress is going to change your insulin level. Now, it will only change it by 20 to 30%, but that's still plenty of that's, change when I'm trying to... Mm -hmm. That's significant. So... It, <clears throat> so it, Insulin is one of those hormones, one of those measurements in medicine that we do a better job of understanding your insulin when we look at two of the molecules that it controls or that it is responsive to and responsive from. And that includes a blood glucose level and a blood ketone level. That blood glucose level and blood ketone level are, are always listening to your insulin level. So for instance, your glucose is high, and when it's high, they, you say, well, it's because my, but my insulin is super low. In that setting, um, do you think your glucose is high when you're working out? Is that what you're saying? Well, or, it can be. I will tell you, uh, it, it, it depends. And I'm, you know, I'm going to do a continuous glucose monitor here in the next couple of weeks mm -hmm. and find out a little bit more. But um, yeah. there's times I get done with a fasted ride and I haven't eaten for three hours on a, just a, a, a low intensity endurance ride. And my glucose is 120 after the ride. And mm -hmm. but an hour later, it's 70. Right. You know, but mm -hmm. my body is saying, hey, I need to produce glucose because I'm burning it. So right. that's why you mm -hmm. can't just use glucose and say, oh, well, you know, glucose is a marker is a black and white marker of your health. You can't just use that. Mm -mm. And, and it's, it, that's a very good understanding. Most pa patients don't appreciate that. They don't appreciate that glucose is just half of this equation or probably even about one fifth of the equation. Right, right. <clears throat> Following it continuously is really the best insight for people. Most people think I work out, my glucose should be better, right? No, 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 you're needing it. You're, 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 you're exporting it from storage. You're using it. It's in circulation and that's good. That's what's supposed to happen. Right. Uh, but if you have a high insulin state, you're not going to release it as well. It's not going to be as responsive. You're going to have a more difficult time accessing that glucose because of that chronic, I think, smothering or grime of high insulin does to a body. So when I was trying to help my mother, we had, so her story starts out with what you heard at the introduction and then she does well for a while and then she does what most people do. And then got kind of like, I'm fine. I'm doing better. I don't need to do this as well. And then she had a, a complication in her story and um, she needed to have um, the suppression of her, of her cancer by denying it sugar. And I was trying to use some of these calculations that they had used at the MD Anderson for that glioblastoma protocol for their cancers. Mm -hmm. And they would calculate uh, the molecular presence of glucose and ketones, uh, except in America, we use these goofy units for, <laughs> for glucose that don't match uh, what we use for ketones. And so, mom, I need you to change the units of your glucose <laughs> to millimolars. And then I need you yeah, to right. ketones. Oh my God. She was like, no, thank you. Whatever you're talking about, it sounds awful to me. And so I said, okay, let's just do this. Mom, take the big number and divide it by the little number. <laughs> and yep. I need you to tell me the number. And when I could give her the power of that, um, the, the glucose divided by the ketones would give you a number. I did the math to convert it all and say, okay, so if your number, I can show the slides if you want to look at those. Please, numbers. please, let's do that. Okay. So if you look at <clears throat> that, uh, that, that um, Dr. Ba's ratio uh, is where I didn't come up with this actually. 
websites where fans had said, uh, this is how I calculate it for my mom. And eventually it got this little tag of Dr. Bob's ratio and it kind of has a little ring to it. So it is the glucose divided by the ketones, except you just don't look at the units. And what I'm really getting to is that uh, GKI index used in the research for glucose to ketone index. Um, and when we could get that Dr. Bob's ratio under 80, um, I tell people, we talk a lot about autophagy and how do you recycle cells that are uh, at risk or that are not healthy. Um, so we would say you might get autophagy then, but you're going to get weight loss if that Dr. Pause ratio is under 80. I specifically like looking at these numbers first thing in the morning because, again, hormones are responsive to life and I can't predict what's going to happen in their life. But if I could get that number first thing in the morning mm -hmm. under 80, I could get them uh, down uh, to a weight loss level of uh, or down to under 80 would get them weight loss. Um, if I got them under 40, I was really looking at a number that would be amazing for how well I could get their immune system to not only fight off infection better, but you know, one of the core uh, treatment pa pathways I have in my clinic is for autoimmune disorders. Like your immune system is making a mistake. It is attacking your hair follicles. That's why your hair has fallen out. It is attacking your thyroid. That's why your thyroid didn't work. It's attacking your mitochondria, which have uh, given you multiple sclerosis. If we're working on an immune system repair, they got to keep that Dr. Boss ratio under 40 first thing in the morning. That's not easy. But if we're talking about cancer, it really gets you to a glucose to ketone index uh, that is one to one. And, and that really is a Dr. Boss ratio under 20. So uh, difficult to do. Uh, but when we look at that, that process uh, gives them a goal. Uh, but here's really where uh, the subtext uh, lies. And that is, as we lowered that uh, Dr. Boz ratio, what you were really doing was lowering the soup of insulin. And again, we could go out and measure people's insulin, but it, 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 if they've been in a ketogenic state for six weeks, their insulin's getting getting healthier. So it's not just the number that shows up on the lab that matters. It's the function of that insulin inside their bodies that somehow right. in my quick minute visits of seeing the patient, you've got to, you've got to assess. And one number is never as good as a, as a collection of data. You cannot measure insulin at home, but you can check the two molecules that it controls. And that's where the Dr. Boz ratio has become a really big part of the treatment plan. Uh, and in the spirit of saying, I take, I take care of a lot of people with addiction. Now, addiction to carbs is where I would look at addiction to food habits and eating habits is what I would tell people when they're in the ketogenic part of this, uh, the clinic. But truly that addictive process um, um, can be transferred to the medical team. And so we, in my clinic in South Dakota, we'd have this banner as we left the nurse's station saying, don't get them addicted to us, meaning empower the patient, teach them what they need to do, give them the tools to graduate and move on with their life and not be, um, you know, don't, don't just substitute us as their addiction. I, I right. don't, I, I want them healthier and moving on with their life, uh, having impact on another patient, uh, or at least taking those healthy patients and sending them out with the empowerment to say, now teach your family, teach your, your coworker, teach your friend that is suffering because there's not enough of me, uh, of physicians that are really using this ketogenic formula in their, uh, in their foundation of healthcare. And in that same spirit. Um, you don't need to be a doctor to teach how to do ketogenic journey. You can go to YouTube and watch some videos, but you can also um, just, you know, read the secrets are in the book, people. It really does teach that the best. Uh, I can go on for uh, with slides for about, I think 1000 of them are in this slide deck. <laughs> well, I, obviously, you've, you know, first of all, I'm our goal of this podcast, Dr. Boz, is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health care. And you are definitely meeting that goal. And it's so nice that you're humble and you say, look, they don't really need a doctor. You just need to be a teacher to start them off on a healthy journey. And that's where it'll go. Because if you look at my book, Sickened, um, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It, the first step solution in our healthcare system is to empower patients to be in charge of their own health, period. That's really mm -hmm. be proactive in their own health. That's what has to happen. 
Exactly. And, you know, I, when I, when reading your book, I, I said, oh, this is, there are so many places that we overlap and really become uh, the same voicing, the same right. message. It was, you've got, we've got a huge problem. We've got a problem bigger than we have uh, resources of professionals that are, that are really fighting against the, uh, the grain of uh, what I've been trained on, what I've trained medical students on. Um, I have a personal journey that the first 20 years of my uh, medical career, uh, I'm an internist. I wrote a lot of prescriptions. <laughs> I have a personal yeah. goal of stopping as many prescriptions in the next 20 years. And I honestly think I'd, I, I could have never even said those words had I not really unpacked the process of how a ketogenic state, a state of nutritional ketosis does this anti-inflammatory healing um, stimulus of autophagy, which is get rid of those defective cells, push that those proteins that are hanging out and making up garbage, use them in a much more uh, recycling type of way for the human body uh, to restore health. And then teach someone. Absolutely. Yeah, you're definitely doing that. You know, you're you're preaching to the choir. I mean, Jan and I are two pharmacists and we changed our lives and our practice and our patients' lives um, because we don't believe in long we don't believe in most medicine for long-term chronic conditions because we believe that it can be changed by lifestyle, diet, exercise, and and proper sleep. So thank you for 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 showing us this today. So it and, looks like you have some numbers. Kind yeah. of show us what a number of uh, a Dr. Boz ratio of 80 or 40 or 20 would be, correct? Yeah. So this is just taking the, I like this slide because it really does link people back to where the research comes from looking at when you write a protocol in medicine and you get it published in a you know peer-reviewed journal, uh, that's a that's a sign that you have other colleagues saying, yes, what they're doing is valuable. I haven't done that with a Dr. Boz ratio, but I but the glucose to ketone index has plenty of research looking at not only insulin levels, but autophagy predictions, as well as um, that's where these, um, the physicians of oncology, you that's where their basis of the information comes from. Uh, the Dr. Boz ratio was really my desperate way to help my mother think like an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> well, not being one, but use the say, use the science. If I'm just guessing, I, I was playing Russian roulette with her, her life. And as much as she trusted me, it's that responsibility of saying there is evidence to what I'm doing. I, I'll be honest, at the time she had the cancer, I couldn't find anywhere that I that I could prove her cancer was glucose dependent. Uh, it was only in, I mean, I prayed, I prayed and prayed that it was going to be glucose dependent so that if we lowered her glucose, um, could we get her cancer to struggle to survive? And indeed, uh, six weeks, we, we destroyed 30% of it. And then wow. we went on to do some other things. It's incredible. It's a, it, it is. It, it just, and, it, and you know what, Dr. Boz, it actually makes me kind of mad about our traditional healthcare system. I mean, mm. here we are, we're, we're shooting people full of poisons to treat their cancers. And in reality, we just got to, you know, change their diet. Right. Well, it's, a, it's one of those places where as a physician, there's some things that you're taught and you learn them and you take a test on it and then you get to the real world and you kind of forget that that was the foundational step that you were supposed to do because everybody reaches for the one thing physicians can do that other professionals can't, which is write those prescriptions. Right. So they like move to the point of privilege before they they. Off, it's like they go, they take the hogs to market before they fed them and cleaned up their food. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Good analogy. <laughs> so so you, you look at this glucose ketone index and um, you say, this is the process where you say, if I can get you to think like this, you can be doing this every day. And when I come back to show you some of the baselines of what we're going to, I'm going to make sure I do those baseline things before I go to the, the sexy part of medicine, which was write a write prescription, no, no, but like do a surgery or do an intervention, or let me put stem cells in a place that, you know, we, we have a little bit of evidence, but those stem cells are going to die if they're bathed in insulin. So mm -hmm. don't do that first. Um, other, other, you know, examples that I think uh, your audience um, would probably appreciate are things like, if they have muscle cramps and you haven't really worked at replacing their magnesium, you're doing them a just in injustice. If you've got chronic pain and I mean, my chronic pain patients have to show me their sleep cycles. They have to be going to a magnesium float once a week, because if we can't cover the, 
the chores of your body. I can give you opiates. I can write you those prescriptions, but I'm not helping you. Mm -hmm. I'm just blowing you off and getting you out of the office. Yeah. And I think the glucose ketone index is what another one of those places where it helps me remember stick with the basics first. There's all kinds of sexy things you can do in medicine, but if you don't have the basics, you're, you're, you can't build. I, you, you look at a glu glucone. Uh, so let's explain the chart and then I'll, I'll, I'll go back to yes, please. the places I use it in healthcare. So here's this glucose. And in, in the first column, you'll see that I, there's like a 97 in that top one. And that's milligrams per deciliter. That's that goofy stuff that the Americans use for their, <laughs> their, right. Uh, and that translates to about 5.3 millimoles per liter. Uh, so if you look at that, uh, the ketone number in that patient was a 1.2. So you've got about 5.3 glucose molecules for every 1.2. Well, you can't leave ketones in the 1.2 cent because we can't talk. We can't talk common language. It's too. So you gotta you gotta convert it. So if you go over to that GKI, you've got that 5.3 ratio to 1.2, and we need to reduce it into when you only have one ketones. How many glucose did you have? So that's about one to four and a half. So the, the glucose ketone index, not only is it the conversion of the, the metrics, it's also the uh, reduce that um, ketone number to one. And, um, and then that gets you the language. So you'll, t you'll when you read in the research papers that the GKI was 4.5. And what they're really saying is a 4.5 to one. Um, and you get to that bottom number there. Um, this is that critical care is what I would call my patients in critical care. I would have a one to one, one glucose molecule to one ketone molecule. And if you skip all that math and you just say, take the big number and divide by the little one, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that is a Dr. Voss ratio of 20. So again, a simplified way to take the science out of that literature and say, how can I apply it to my patients? How can I condense this in a way that they can understand? And I don't want one data point a year. I don't want one data point a month. I want you checking it every morning for the next three weeks so I can see what your body's transitioning through. But most importantly, you can see what your body's doing. You ate at midnight last night. That's why your glucose was, you know, was 75 for the last two, two days every morning. And now it's a hundred. Uh, your ketones were in that three range for the last you know, six days. And then you ate at midnight and now they're 0.4. Your body responds to what you do. And even if you're not brave enough to tell me, it's really hard to deny it when the numbers show you that every morning. So when I talk about the science leading the way, this is what I mean. That makes okay. it much easier. And I, I will say, um, you know, I, I, I read your book and I started, you know, looking into keto, which I've looked into keto a lot before. Um, and I started off with the, um, what do you call them? The P-tones or the P-strips? Is that what you call them? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I didn't think of that. Somebody else, I copied somebody. Yeah. So, <laughs> ketone urine strips were just a little bit too, I don't know. The P-tone was so much more fun. I'm like, oh, of course right. you should call them P-tones. Yeah. So, yeah. so I started out with that. I don't have a meter, a key, uh, um, a meter to actually measure the level of ketones so I can get a Dr. Boz ratio. But I started out with, uh, with the P strips and, um, you know, I'm not in ketosis even close. Now I do do some intermittent fasting around my workouts. Um, but nothing like, um, you know, for days at a time, because that's the question I have. So is keto for everybody? Can, could, could everybody do keto? Hmm. I think that's what you were designed to do is that you were not designed to have um, the amount of processed foods and sugars that our, our population has today. And uh, I mean, I am from the great state of South Dakota where George McGovern was our senator that led that committee in the 70s. And, and he helped his constituents, which were my grandparents and my uh, you know uncles and my family who was dependent on wheat and corn being something that the world bought. And George McGovern did a great job of representing his constituents for putting that at the bottom of a food pyramid. Even though the scientists said to George McGovern, we don't have the science to back this up. We are, we're working on a hunch here. And that policy was created that if you're going to have a government subsidy, you need to follow the algorithm of the food pyramid. So that meant jails and schools and nursing homes and anything where that government subsidies came in, that was going to be the basis of their food. And 
that was the beginning. And I think there's other factors in that story uh, that led to this massive consumption uh, of processed foods. And although you can drive across South Dakota right now and find thousands of acres of beans and corn, I think that's not the right answer for the health of the people. And I do believe you back up a couple hundred years and that uh, that obesity epidemic is linked to how much process, how, what's the particle size of the food we, we have people eat. And when you had to take the wheat and actually grind it, you didn't get it nearly as fine. <laughs> when you had to, uh, when, when the processed uh, foods couldn't sit on the shelf for 30 years and not break down. Right. That, that's not normal. Uh, when an apple was sour, not sweet, and it was so the size, you know, of, you know, whoop, uh, a tennis ball, not the size of your head. Uh, those, <laughs> the, that fruit is not is not in our DNA. And even though I like the taste of that apple too, and I like the taste of birthday cake uh, or pastries, you know, that processed food doesn't, you don't have to be a good salesman to like it, no. but it has a consequence that is much, I mean, yeah, I, I said this earlier, internal medicine is the art of predicting where the problems will show up in 20 years. And if you do a great job, uh, your patient won't know that what you're worried about. Um, unfortunately, most of my patients show up after the 20 years and we're deep in the gutter with their metabolic health, their chronic inflammation, their body. They don't usually know it, but has cancer hidden in several spots of their body. It has infections that take over way too quickly. It has a gut lining that lets in things that shouldn't be let in. That's not, that's not good. And that, you know, what starts out as irritable bowel or just some chronic constipation or chronic diarrhea now has turned into inflammatory bowel disease, um, celiac disease. And they are all strings of, had you not eaten um, in a way that puts you out of ketosis for the last 20 years, this disorder would not have happened. People come in and say, but doctor, I have the breast cancer gene. And I'm like, then don't turn it on. And that means yeah, don't, right. live, yeah. don't live in a state of constant inflammation, yeah. which is going to guarantee that these errors of, of genetics or metabolism will then be at the highest chance of happening. So when you say, is it for everybody? Not an unequivocal. It is, I mean, unequivocally, it is for everyone. It is for the human race to not be in a state of constant glucose. You need to have the flexibility to produce ketones and you have to have the cellular parts awake, uploaded, turned on in order to use those ketones. So when you look at somebody who's healthy, um, I would contend that if you put um, I mean, first of all, I'm going to put a little plug for people. There are some glucose, the ketone meters out there that for a hundred dollar kit, you can go to Foracare uh, and get what I think of as the best kits out there because the strips don't go bad. <laughs> and I mean that by, I live in South Dakota where it gets to be 50 below zero. I live in South Dakota <laughs> where it can get over a hundred degrees. And if you accidentally leave those dang strips in the car, they go bad in many of those other kits. But these are the, these strips, now almost all the strips are trying to be made with these, with the kit that Foracare had originally come out with. But I want to give the, give the kudos to the team that made the more expensive kit when everybody else was going for the cheap kit. That Foracare is a great kit for $100. You can check your glucose or and ketones uh, in one meter and you can measure because I would contend for somebody in your situation where you do fast and you do exercise that they say, I'm not in ketosis, I'm not in ketosis. And I would say, I bet you are more often than you think. Uh, health I mean, uh, so there's a there's a program out there, Silicon Valley, looking at um, can we detect telomere length at the end of a DNA? You know what I mean by telomere length? Uh -huh. so yep. The, okay, yep. yep. You think your audience knows that? So if you look at a your DNA, that little is it called an ig i g l e t in in it's anyway the, whatever the little thing is called at the end of a shoelace. Um, that is the telomere on your DNA, and as you age, it gets shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter unless you protect it and then it doesn't. And so they were doing all this work saying, how can we uh, create something that guesses the telomere length the best? And one of the ways that they, uh, they came across is you look at the patient. 
And when our brains look at someone, you you decide their age. You might not know a number, but you decide young, old, healthy, not healthy. Yeah. As a physician, you do this all the time and you get checked by their birth date. So you get good at it. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you look at, um, I mean, just looking at you, you're, you have a, you have a healthy look. And when I say that, I mean that, well, by, I bet his, <laughs> I bet his telomere length is healthier than someone who has suffered from diabetes even if they weren't overweight, the way they age is visible. So they have this uh, recognition for age. Uh, the human brain still did it the best, but they got their uh, artificial intelligence to do it pretty well, as pretty good as well. And they could predict the telomere length in the DNA by how youthful they look. So one of the comments I get on my show or on my uh, YouTube channel all the time is, oh, my doc, oh, Dr. Bosworth, you look so much younger than you did when you first started. And I encourage people to go back and say, I, I didn't do this because I was trying to do that. This is a way to show you that telomere length is something that visually shows up in your system. So you say, yeah, I don't measure my ketones through a glucose meter. Well, I think you should every once in a while to prove to yourself that you're probably healthier than you think you are and uh, that you're probably in, I mean, you're probably in ketosis more than you think you are. And the reason I have confidence when I say that is to look at you uh, and then know that that has a correlation to your telomere length. So I do think that, um, and I, in the book, I talk about, um, you know, $100 for a kit can be out of people's expense, but it can also be that there are some countries that don't have that available in their country. Mm -hmm. And I say, you don't need to be checking this. Um, um, for, it's not till like step number six out of 12 that I say, all right, you probably need to get a meter now. Yeah, <laughs> right. In, in, instead, I say, go with the cheap stuff, go with the ketone yeah. strips, because if in the morning you produce ketones, you win. That is a huge predictor of if you wanted to say what let's let's do some metrics for um, in a, especially when you're wearing that uh, continuous glucose monitor. I have one on right now. I've been uh, I've been saving to use it during a time of stress and I'm I'm in the process of moving while doing some work on a reservation. So I'm living in a hotel and flying across the country about three times a month. And uh, I said, I'm going to wear the glucose monitor then so that I can keep myself accountable um, so I encourage you when you have your continuous glucose monitor in, just check your ketones every morning as a way to correlate when you have a stable blood sugar, when the blood sugar doesn't peak because you had a bunch of sugar or when the, it doesn't um, fluctuate because you ate processed carbs, when you stick with a highly ketogenic, high fat based, highly nourishment, nourishment dense foods, boy, it's a nice stable glucose all day long. And that's what predicts the aging of your health. That's or the aging of your brain. That's what predicts chronic inflammatory processes that lead to autoimmune disorders. That's what predicts, um, uh, you know, from Alzheimer's to Parkinson's to diabetes to heart disease is the stability of the glucose. Right. And I, I'm excited to, to use my continuous glucose monitor. I haven't quite ordered it yet. I'm going to order one from NutriSense and, um, what I really want to see is I want to see on a long bike ride on one of my races, I, I, I'm actually going to Rapid City Spearfish actually for the Dakota 5.0 uh, Labor Day weekend. And I'll have a, I've done it once before in 2019 and, um, you know, it should be five, five hours or so. And I want to see how I fuel during the race. So am I eating enough carbs? I'm not eating enough carbs. Um, Cause at, my last long race, um, I was nauseated and I checked my, and the last hour I just suffered and it was horrible. And I had a, basically a sugar full, um, a bottle full of sugar water, basically. Cause you, you know, you're burning the carbs. Well, I checked mm -hmm. my glucose and I was nauseated and I checked my glucose right after the ride. Get this 145. Oh, wow. It's the highest I've ever seen my glucose. I think I overfueled for that, right? For that race. Mm -hmm. I think I was, so I, and I, my body was wanting pure water, but I didn't have pure water. Mm. So my whole goal is, you know, to use this continuous glucose monitor for a month and see how my body responds to exercise, to mm -hmm. food, um, to different foods and how I can fuel my, my bike rides depending on intensity also. So, mm -hmm. Um, I'm super excited about it and I will, I will check my P-tones while I'm, while I'm using that continuous glucose monitor. And I think what's important, just like you say, is like 
once you kind of get an idea of what's of how your body responds, it's not like you have to do it all the time, you know, multiple, multiple times a day. Um, cause I know now because I have checked my glucose enough and stuff. I know, I know what I've eaten bad and I know what my glucose is going to do. So, mm-hmm. um, sometimes we have to recheck those numbers just to stay on track. Kind of like we do Amen. with a scale, you know, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we have to weigh every once in a while. Cause it's like, you know, you think you're on track, but you don't know until you actually weigh. So then you weigh and it's like, Oh wow, I gained a little, a few pounds. I need to lose it again. So, I think anything you do to gather data with your health is the same. It's not black and white. It's always dynamic, but you have to understand how to interpret those numbers appropriately. um, So you know how to make changes to your um, lifestyle. You know, and I I think you're, you're doing a great uh, uh, justice by actually sharing your experience. Um, I I don't know the specific brand that you're talking about, but I hope it's one of those glucose monitors where you get a check every five minutes and it reports it into your phone so that is that right? Yeah. So it's probably a Dexcom six that they're using to, to do that. And that technology has changed the way we take care of uh, type one diabetics, uh, even type two diabetics that are uh, in poor condition. But what you are doing is saying, does everybody need to get one of those uh, glucose monitors? I know the one that I'm wearing, the cash price for three months is over $1,500 for the sensors. And the, you know, that's a lot of cost. Am I, would my patients get $1,500 of value out of it because insurance will not cover it unless they have type 1 diabetes? And even then you say, okay, is, am, I get, am I doing the right thing? But the key component there, and I tell my patients, I like everybody that's under my care to wear one at least for one three-month session. And I do my best to come up with creative ways that they can do that without spending as much money as you have to. Um and what, because what happens is it's, it's the moment where when you watch yourself continuously, you're like, oh, she said not to eat late at night. Oh, dang, that does actually affect it. Right. And then you tell yeah. your family and then you behave differently. And you're like, you know, she said that alcohol was going to do that. And if I was going to have alcohol, stick to the distilled alcohol, uh, not the stuff that is high in sugar and giving you that. Yeah glucose euphoria while giving you alcohol it's once and your kind of brain goes a little little nutsy uh that's going to change your numbers and it's amazing to me it's just so predictable human nature that when they watch themselves they're like you mean she was talking to me when she said not to do that right (laughs) because as you tell your story by wearing it your audience will get this kind of you know, vicarious process of learning and, and they probably will not internalize it as much as you will because you're the one wearing it. But what happens next is uh, maybe they find a way to check themselves a little more methodically without the expense and, and then they teach the next person. So it's, it really is uh, that that's a great resource for somebody with a, with a literal microphone uh, to do the experience and just, and share. So be sure to check the ketones every morning as you do it. I will. I will. Thank you for the reminder. I will. I've got a lot of strips still. So, um, so Dr. Boz, as we thank you for being on today. And as we, as we wrap this show up, you you are such a wealth of information. We need to have you on again to just discuss so many other things because Um, We could talk for hours and hours. We were definitely on the same page. And I just love what you were doing. You were definitely changing people's lives. And I so appreciate that. We don't see that all the time with with traditional doctors and in our healthcare system. So thank you for stepping out and doing something different and actually really making a difference. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thanks for giving a bit of praise because as you step outside the pack in any industry, it's a great way to be attacked. And I get to hear those voices too. So it's nice to hear the praise. Uh, you happened to ask for a podcast at the time where I was packing up my life, moving across the country and saying, oh, he wants me to schedule something in months. I can't see past the next 48 hours. <laughs> so you should know that this is almost at the end. And the next time you ask me, it won't be nearly as chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfectly okay. I we, we just appreciate you saying yes to being on our podcast. So as we wrap this up, um, um, what, what, what drives you? What do you have a passion for? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the spirits that I teach patients in staying sustainable in the ketogenic diet is to know your why, know what motivates you. And um, I had this amazing blessing in life to be loved 
completely by this woman that is called Grandma Rose in my stories. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that, I mean, you can't find a single cell in my whole person that isn't surrounded by love from this person from the moment I was born uh, to this day. And I get to take that immersion of love and caring. And, and I grew up in this little town where she also imprinted that it's my responsibility that the gifts God gives me, I'm supposed to share in his name. So when I look at what drives me, it is God asked me to be a teacher and I was trying to teach one person at a time. And although uh, I did a good job, it wasn't until the one person that I was teaching was my mom and I wrote that down so the world could read about it, that my world got a lot bigger. So what drives me is to continue to teach people, uh, sometimes one-on-one, -on -one, but amazingly in, in situations like this where I get to do a little education, pour into the people that are leading their universe and and keep, uh, keep that spirit of, I have a responsibility that I am good at this and I'll keep doing it in, to as many people as I can sustain. Awesome. Yeah, one person at a time. That's what that's all it takes. Mm -hmm. So what what's the best way to get a hold of you, Dr. Boz, if anybody has any questions? Uh, you know, the first place I like folks to start is we are doing a much better job of uh, watching those comments on our YouTube channel. So we have lots of social media, but YouTube is definitely the place to post your comments. Uh, I answer questions live every Sunday night at six o'clock central time. I usually tell a story of a patient that's, you know, using the ketogenic diet for one reason or another, or maybe give a little lesson like I just did now. And if you're live, eventually your question is going to get answered. And I read all of those comments on the lives and I read probably 90% of the comments that are on my YouTube channel. So if you're looking for the best voice and you're looking for the best place for me to actually get back to you, start there. And then you'll also see the other places that we, we try to, be as responsible as we can about answering questions. Awesome. I so appreciate it, Dr. Boz. Well, thank you so much for being on and we will definitely schedule you to be on again. You're definitely a wealth of knowledge. Thank you. Thank you so much. You keep doing what you're doing because it takes all of us. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in today, listeners and viewers. And Monday, you don't want to miss out because we will have Dr. Haley Miller. She specializes in diabetes, actually. She has a direct primary care um, practice in Montana, and she'll be talking about type 1 diabetes and how it's not how important glucose control is to preventing complications. So this is right along this topic, Dr. Boz. So awesome. So uh, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you for watching.